If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you? Hope your summer's off to a good start and you're making some time for yourself to be outdoors, in the sunshine, in the garden, near a body of water or wherever you get recharged. If you're new to the show, thanks for checking it out. Highway to Health is an exploration of how we can improve our experience, our states of wellness, in our own bodies, with each other, in our communities, and with our natural world. Having worked in integrative health for more than 20 years, there's always in my awareness that improving these relationships takes fostering and engagement. One reason I have chosen to bring the planet into this conversation of health is because I think it's crucial. Can we really be healthy if the planet is ill? My guest for today's show is Jeannie Larson. She has so much insight into how we can become more engaged with the natural world, and she's going to share with us how she's been helping people with a variety of conditions become more connected and heal themselves. She'll be up in just a moment, but first I want to thank you, uh, thank the listeners who have become supporters of the podcast. Your dollars are helping us broaden the community support around this project and all the projects we touch through our conversations here on Highway to Health. If you haven't donated yet, would you please show your support and let us know that you feel these conversations are important? I promise to thank you personally, not from an electronic bot auto response, but directly from my fingertips tapping on the laptop straight to your email address and let you know how truly grateful I am that you're engaging in this project. It's so easy. All you have to do to become a contributor is go to patreon.com forward slash highway to month, and you can become a contributor for as little as $1 a month. And remember, this is your podcast. I want you to think about it as your podcast. Most of our guests come from recommendations, community relationships, and other guests of the podcast who believe the community being built around this project is important. Let me know if there's anything you would like us to cover here on the podcast, and if there's a guest you have in mind, you can email me directly at jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. Also, we're now on nearly every platform, including Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and Buzzsprout. So no matter where you are, we're easy to find. And if you would, please leave us a rating at the bottom of the podcast app feed to help others find us. I'm so happy to share this conversation today with Jeannie Larson. She invited me up to her fourth generation family farm about an hour north of Minneapolis. And I'm sure you'll be able to hear in my voice just how completely charmed I was by the experience and the inhabitants of the farm, the goats, horses, dogs, the rooster, and chickens, and farm cats, one of whom you'll hear in the background in the middle of our conversation if you listen closely. Gina has been developing a new field of care using nature as a guide for treating a wide variety of conditions through nature-based therapeutics. Working in partnership with the Bakken Center for Spirituality and Healing and the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum, she's doing research, education, and treatment using the most powerful form of medicine available to us, nature, landscapes, environments, and animals to help us discover our sense of purpose through our relationships with the natural world. I have to tell you, I felt incredibly at peace leaving and driving back to the city after this conversation. I hope it has the same effect on you. Please enjoy this hour with Jeannie Larson. How did you get this, the idea for the, the, the career that you've built? Oh, boy, I had no idea about my career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it wasn't that deliberate, you know, I yeah. have to say. Um, you know, really, because I have a learning disability. Um, what, is, what is yours? I have dyslexia, um, processing disorder. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, I had a bit as well. Yeah, 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 I yeah. I still have a bit, but I sure, mean... Sure, sure, sure. It's I've a learned, gift now. I mean, that's, that's really right, how right. I, I look at it. It's really a gift. Um, but at the time when I was in school, um, my parents always knew that my capacity for learning and understanding was, you know, much greater than being in the special education classroom. Right. Um, and so they really 
compensated in the summertime by bringing us into experiential history centers and, you know, really engaging with the knowledge in a different avenue as opposed yeah. to just kind of rote. Um, and a part of that was I grew up in Lake Elmo um, and we had uh, lots of nature around us. And um, so I also had a lot of energy. <laughs> so, me, me too. Yeah. So go outside. When I ring the bell, you know, you come in. Yeah, yeah, it was that yeah. kind of a thing. And so it was just nature became my best friend, you know, yeah. and uh, a very uh, important part of my spirituality and my growth in that way. What, so what did you do with the energy that you had out, out well, there? Well, I had a horse, you know, I had a horse. So that was important. I had animals, yeah. you know, that was always important. Um, we lived uh, right next to a pond and we had forts and um, lots of well, I swam we, on the Trey Lakes area, area. Yeah. so a lot of swimming, you know, so just a lot of ways to just kind of let it go and yeah. be be involved with, oh, was a softball player, you know, okay. those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was really, really important for me. I, I knew that that was where I learned best, you know, in a way. So... Um, and I also, because I was in special education, I mean, I was considered mentally retarded, um, I had this opportunity to really, um, really the honor of being with people who learned differently and who were different yeah. and were genuinely kind and honest and, you know, nice. just this is really interesting. Un, kind of unedited. And I loved that. Yeah. So I actually started to volunteer my time at um, a facility for older people in swim, teaching swimming lesson. Hmm. Yeah. People with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Yeah. And that was in seventh grade. And, um, so kind of these little things are merging as the universe is kind of cha channeling me through my journey. Um, and then I had, when I was just starting in college, I had an opportunity to go out to Oregon. Um, I was at Bethel university at the time okay. and there was a, a school, it was a renovated lumber mill. And it was all about environmental education. And so I went there and it clicked because it was like four week intensive learning. Like yeah, we went yeah. out with the Bureau of Land Management right. or, you know, we went up to the Big Beaver Valley up in, you know, the uh, Olympic Mountains. And we had these experiences of learning. And that was just like, OK, this is my this is my thing. So then yeah. I came back to to Bethel and I ended up writing my own degree in psychology, sociology, and biology, and I called it environmental therapy. And this was back in the 80s. And my capstone experience was out at Wilder Forest okay. in Marina and St. Croix. And um, there I was in charge of the horses, the goats, the chickens, and the garden. <laughs> and I was also very fascinated with Rudolf Steiner and the Camp Hill yeah. program. Yeah. So again, these things are just kind of merging, you know, and these opportunities. You created your own college experience. I, I had this really great opportunity and yeah, definitely took advantage of it. And then um, after I left Wilder, I, I was um, given the opportunity to go back to school in a master's program um, and learn about uh, bringing people with and without disabilities into nature centers. Mm -hmm. And so that was what my research project was. I was an RA on this three-year grant. And so I did my master's program there. And Gosh, and then from there, I worked at Vinland National Center, and the Arboretum was looking for uh, someone to lead their new program, and so I was headhunted and brought out to the Arboretum in '92, and that's that's when I started the program at the Arboretum, and it's just been oh, wow. kind of one of those things where, what next, God? You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not really planning this. Um, well, but, I mean, I think that's the best way in some ways. If if, if it's, I mean, my, my career is full of accidental yes. surprises. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I think that's, it, it, it also is probably most you yeah. in, in some essential way just sure. because of that. And when you're forging something that, I mean, that's the thing, like, I'm I'm considered part of an integrative health field, hmm. but there wasn't anything like that when I was sort of starting, and right, so right. I was just gap filling and trying to figure out yeah. ways to like, yeah. Yeah. well, this and I can't really figure out the right way or the right person to get this person to. So I have a couple of ideas I'm yes. gonna try, and yes. all of a sudden you're, yeah. Yeah. you know, you're in, an, and then someone sees that part of you. That's how I got into working with babies. I was working oh. with the midwife at the time. Oh, okay, and 
treating her as she understood, you know, what I was doing with her and was like, sure. you know, who would really benefit from this is babies. Uh, uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And so I ended up in this, in this field working with babies and, and I didn't realize until I was a couple of years in, I mean, and I had, I had to go back and do some pediatric training, mm. but I, but I didn't realize until I'd gotten a little further along that there just weren't that many people, especially in the community that I was in, in, in Brooklyn that were, that were really doing it. Or even at that point, a couple of years in who had had enough, as much experience as mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then that was, wow. a, you know, it's problematic in a good yeah, way, yeah. but then all of a sudden <laughs> I'm the baby whisperer of Brooklyn. <laughs> Who would have known, you know? I mean, that's that's the thing that happens. Yeah, right. I want to be the baby whisperer, <laughs> along with the dog and the horse whisperer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. So so tell me about the Arboretum, because I don't know that much about that. Oh, about sure. The, you know. So the Arboretum is a part of the horticulture department yeah. um, and the College of Food, Agriculture, and Natural Science. I mean, I've been Science. there. I just, I, you know, yep, I don't okay. know about and, your role so much. Oh, sure, sure. So I'm a part of the education department. Okay. Um, and we have children's education, adult education. Uh, we have an uh, urban... Uh, education program and then nature-based therapeutics. Okay. Um, and when I started at the Arboretum, you know, I really was in the field of horticulture therapy, but my background was outdoor education and therapeutic recreation. Yeah. So actually when I was interviewing, I said, well, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg, you know, nature is all around us. It impacts us on so many different levels and not everybody likes to garden. So, you know, we really need to be open to how we can, and my, the director at the time was kind of like, oh yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. sure, sure, <laughs> sure. Interviewing, and you're already telling me what you're gonna do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love Peter Olin; he was great. Um, anyway, so that was, you know, I really came into it through the garden, and because of my background in environmental education, it's like you can always teach about the big garden, you know, what's happening in our larger um, atmosphere and yeah. ecosystem in a little garden, and so it was a really good way to kind of. Uh, focus the education of the environment. Um, and it, yeah, gardening is just, has so many different levels. It can be, you know, arts and crafts. It can be design and creativity. It can be nutrition and food. You know, there's yeah, many yeah, different ways yeah. in which you can kind of sprocket off of the garden. Um, and then I... Was, was I, there a part of that that you liked the most? Uh, I, I like gardening really from the physical aspect of it. I really, there's something just so sensory and um, the beauty. I, I think gardening is like your caps, the, the capsule of nature to give you that yeah. connection. Um, it's so vivid and rich and, uh, well, it's just that sensory experience, which appeals to us as animals, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, I'm trying to bring people into that connection, reconnecting them to nature yeah. um, for on one level so that they have a relationship with nature and it's free and accessible to all. It's a part of our, our right to have a connection to nature. It's a part of our DNA to be connected to mm-hmm. nature. Um, but then the highest why is for that reciprocity so that we can then take care of the yeah. earth. You know, yeah. it's not just about us taking, you know, but when you realize how much you appreciate and need that relationship with nature, then it's like like any friendship or yeah. any love, yeah. you know, you have to give back to it, right? right? Right, exactly. Yeah, so that's really ultimately why I do my work is for that relationship with do, nature do, so that do we you, can care. Do, do you help, do you have like programs where people come in and they get to sort of engage in some way where they get to... You know, be, oh, absolutely. That, that's, that's exactly what our work is. Okay. Um, so, like, for example, we work with patients with eating disorders, and our program is oh, um, deliberately scheduled right after the meal s- to encourage people to eat the meal so yeah. that they can get yeah. to this either an animal interaction or a floral arrangement or a nature-based art activity or go out into the garden. It's We have many different ways in which we are approaching um, or going out for a mindful walk out in nature. You know, we have a variety of different modalities, for lack of a better term. Um, but, you know, really it's just different ways to engage with nature because everybody has their own interests. You yeah. Know? Um, so that's just one example. Uh, we uh, work with people with um, Parkinson's and other movement disorders. And, again, we're coming to them th- through a variety of different mechanisms. Um, it could be like we, uh, I helped 
with their uh, their landscape design. So on a passive level, mm-hmm. um, we have gardens there. So on an active level, um, we also have uh, animal assisted interactions that occur there. It might be a little mini horse that comes. Um, mm. It could be that we're bringing in search and rescue dogs and learning about how they find cadavers. I mean, it's, it's edu- educational, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, just trying to engage on that exactly. level in some way. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then of course, just that interaction with, uh, the animal on a, again, a tactile sensory, you know, level yeah. learning something. And we, we always try to do something that's giving back like, um, there's a rabbit rescue. So when we bring the rabbits in, um, and we are interacting with the rabbits, we're always making little, um, uh, kind of engagement uh, toys, you know, so that the rabbits that are in rescue, then they have like these little tubes of uh, Timothy grass that they can they get be a nibbling. treat of some sort. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or we make these uh, rope, um, taking old fabric, and we make these little ropes that the dogs can play with that are in a rescue or something. So we're trying to give back uh, to the community with these. Uh, ways that we're taking for ourselves, you know, yes. as well. That's yeah. it's an important piece of that reciprocity, kind of getting yeah, back into the community. Um, but our services are are more than that. We have the direct services with contractual um, programs in the community. But I also teach classes mm-hmm. at the Center for Spirituality and Healing, the Bakken Center, um, and those courses are, you know, um, everything from therapeutic landscape design. I teach a course called Horses Teacher. It's uh, equine facilitated psychotherapy. Mm. Um, I teach a an online class called Nature Heals, and it's a seven week intensive. It's all it's all online, and we just learn about the different ways wilderness therapy to eco psychology, yeah. restorative environments. You know, kind of just hitting on all the different ways that you know you can interact with um, nature for some sort of therapeutic you know benefit, some measurable outcome. Um, and then we also are involved with some research. Um, with Lynn, that's actually how I know Lynn. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, is uh, we did a VR uh, glass study, glasses, VR glasses with patients eight to eighteen who had just been, oh, yeah, uh, yeah the pancreatic, yeah, that's the pancreatic right. transplants, and so instead of using an opioid for pain, uh, anxiety, or nausea, we were doing this little proof of, proof of concept to offer them these VR glasses as a, a an alternative, you know, to using the opioid, right in the PICU. So that first week. Um, and then we had the uh, nursing staff, you know, evaluate with these little liquored scales, yeah. um, you know, how do you feel before, how do you feel afterwards? And, you know, it was a small little proof of concept study, but, you know, it, it helps to reinforce how we can be integrating nature. We're, we're going to do a program with them on May 17th. Um, we're calling it uh, Seed to Supper, and it's all about learning about um, plants and having an opportunity to uh learn about nutrition mm-hmm. it's for the uh, patients and families all day on May 17th. And so just That's different great. ways. I mean, also for, for people who are going through something, it like really tunes them into like some just essential aspect of, right. Of That's what, outside the, of the being treated and yes. poked and probed. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That there's some ways in which you can have other things in your life and yeah. in, engage in other, uh, other levels. We're going to also have the dogs there that day. And I'm going to have a little art project where we're, taking um, a variety of different kinds of beets and we're going to be uh, making it into a stained glass, a vegetable uh, stained glass. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited about that. Um, so th- that's just one little aspect of our research. And then, of course, we have outreach as well, and that can be through conferences or um, like I was just involved with the Master Gardener program and creating a toolkit for Master Gardeners to use. Um, but giving them the foundational knowledge about biophilia and the, 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 the foundational um, theories around attention restoration and stress recovery theory that really builds the biophilic hypothesis, just giving them some basic information so in the literature to help support what they're doing. Yeah. So that's a part of our outreach. And um, yeah, so it's really well-rounded having the practice with the academics in communication all the time, you know, with I, each other. I feel other. like we should, get, I mean, as adults, like my, so my daughter's going through this project at school. Her, her mealworm is about to turn into a pupa today. Oh. She was telling me all about it this morning. Wow. Mippy is the, uh, 
Mippy so the she, mealworm. So she was she was she was talking to us about Mippy for a while about her worm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so in my mind, I'm thinking like an earthworm, maybe a nightcrawler or yeah. something. And she's telling me about how cute this worm is, and you know, and then she and then you know finally she said, oh, so you know they're starting to turn to the next stage. I forget what's after that, but they start to shed this skin that oh, they true. have. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And so she's like. I said, well, let's let's look it up online and see what the stages of the mealworm are. So we go on there, and there's like four stages. You know, it's like the the the, the worm state, and then they then they go to the oh. shedding the state, then the pupa, yeah, okay, okay, and then beetle, like oh, a okay. black uh, beetle. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> she she was a bit surprised. Apparently, they hadn't prepped them for the fact that they were going to turn into beetles. <laughs> yes, and, a, a future <laughs> entomologist. So there was a lot of conversation going on for a while about oh, so Mippy's going to turn into a beetle and. Like, I don't know how I feel about, you know, maybe turning into a beetle and stuff. And and I said, but, and I, I'm not sure if this is safe or not, but I said, well, Mippy knows you, uh, right? I mean, uh-huh. sh- shouldn't Mippy, you know, if, if you really have, you know, this relationship with this thing, they, they should know you. They're not going to, they're not, probably not going to, re- re- you know, try to bite you or uh-huh, react uh-huh. adversely to you, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but, but she really liked that. She uh-huh. was like, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe we'll still know me. Yeah. Well, I, I like what I like about what you said is that there that relationship, whether or not he's gonna you know be best friends. I, I mean, I don't <laughs> care about that. That you know that that's fine to me. Yeah. But that relationship is seeing how we're a part of a larger web, you know, uh-huh. and planting the seed of Mippy, you know, now and as she she grows up. You know, she'll see. You know that that beetle has an important role to right. play within the larger yeah. scope of things, and we're all kind of on the same level of value. Yes, you know? I, I was thinking about that too. I was thinking about just how that one experience that of you know, and because it takes a while, this process has been going on for three weeks, I think already. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I mean, it's it's enough time to be spending with this creature. To really think about the bigger, because she's also learned what animals like to eat, Mippy. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, and so this exactly. is part, starting starting to understand the, the, the yeah the, the the larger web, and and she's eight. You know, uh-huh. she's almost eight. So that it's uh-huh. it's a it's a great age to really like their their everything is starting to expand out a little bit. You can kind of see her yeah. opening up to like the the bigger world a little bit more. And, yeah. But I feel like as adults, we almost kind of need to go back to like the smaller world sometimes, mm-hmm. like to the to the details, like getting your hands in the dirt and like mm-hmm. seeing the insects and mm-hmm. seeing Mippy in the dirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, we mm-hmm. we, we kind of forget that we are, you know, connected that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, we are so disconnected, you know, <laughs> yeah. so disconnected. So gardening is a great way, right. you know, to have that, you know, reconnection and all the different ways in which we're trying to reconnect people with nature has to appeal to whatever their you know level of interest is. And obviously, mealyworms is right. your, your daughters, right. <laughs> and isn't that wonderful? You know, for somebody else, it might be honeybees. Yeah, you know, and learning all. I mean, honeybees. Uh, personally, I think honeybees are probably the most fascinating insect there is. They're, yeah. They yeah. have their own democracy. They have. You can never l- learn it all. I mean, they're just fascinating insects. Um, yeah. Same with gardening. You know, anything that you have, you just are always going to be. If you're a hosta person, you can always be learning right, about hostas. Right, right. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. So, what, what is, is is there a topic that within your kind of oeuvre that you like to really get into, as far as what you teach right now, or is, is that changing well, at all as you're going I, along? Right now, what I'm really interested in is climate change. Okay. And the immediacy, uh, the the immediacy of our need to wake up to our connection to nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many different ways in which uh, that can be translated. Um, I know for myself, I go fetal. I, I get just really shut down when I hear all the big information. And the, yeah, I, I, I get it, that just, it really is overwhelming to me. And I just think, okay, that's not helpful. You know, that's, that's not helpful for me. It's really important that I understand it. Um, but for me to dwell there and to just kind of s- get stuck there. Um, so what I've been trying to think of is how, how can we, how can I translate the information of optimism and ac- action-oriented uh, application to kind of watching this wave coming, you know, towards us. And, right. you know, I really, I look towards mindfulness 
and I look towards the the sense of being in the moment and waking our senses up to what is happening around us. Um, because once you can raise that level of consciousness, it, it, it elevates that sensitivity to our relationship and our need for nature. And again, it always kind of has that same kind of a formulaic outcome. You know, it's like once I understand that, well, I realize how much I need it, which then brings me back to that reciprocity. I mean, of course, it's that cycle, you know, I always want to take care of something that I love. Um, and being mindful, it can be, you know, parking your car further away from the store and saying, okay, I'm going to walk to the store mindfully. And now suddenly I'm hearing birds because I'm attuning myself to the sounds that are around me. Now I can be sensitive that we just had rain and where's that water going to go down the weir? You know, it's going to go out into a river and how is that going to, you know, affect things? It's, it's just opening up our relationship to nature that there's nothing that we can do without it. There's just nothing we can do without it, which to me then adds to the justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion that everyone has a right to nature. No one controls it for us. And with that right to nature, we all have an obligation to take care of it because it's not just us now. It's our future generations. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we do now (laughs) impacts the future you know, so, so you know, to ask me where I mean that that really is it's, it's hard for that not to be in our in our mindset right yeah, now. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. But we're there's so many different ways in which um, you know, public health are, you know, trying to get people out and uh, exercise more and the DNR is trying to get people out engaging in the state parks so that they can so we have all these different organizations and groups all trying to do similar things. And what I would really love is for us to kind of find a common language together and converge with a message, you know, speaking in a singular voice that Mm -hmm. this is not only about, um, you know, it's not only about this immediate thing, but what we're doing has a long-term impact. And because of that, we need to act on it. We need to act more immediately. And, and, I've, you know. and I've, that's one of the things I've been just thinking about more and more in terms of message delivery is, mm-hmm. and, and I think about this in my practice, like when I'm trying to teach someone some simple health practices mm-hmm. is what's the, what's the one simple takeaway, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the low hanging fruit type thing, mm-hmm. because I feel like we, we can be so paralyzed by this, by this feeling of sort of overwhelm and dread mm-hmm. that goes mm-hmm. on when mm-hmm. you, when you hear the statistics and when mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. the proof, mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. like one of those things that. I feel like we we need someone in in that in that space who's you know is is able to deliver some simple some simple thing, mm-hmm. and I and it's one of the things I feel like I've I've had to push into just instinctively with mm. the podcast. There's, mm-hmm, there's no mm-hmm. way to talk about health and not mm-hmm. talk about the health of the planet right, right now. Right, right, exactly. And for me, I I biophilia, the whole idea of biophilia. You know, it's not a soundbite. It's not necessarily something that's just easily like black and white. However, mm-hmm. I know for myself that Daniel Siegel, are you familiar with yeah, Daniel Siegel? Yeah. Okay. So he has this great um, hand model of the brain where mm-hmm. he talks about how, you know, this is our reptilian brain. I mean, it's very, very true and simplistic. Yeah, yeah. But when I learned that, you know, the reptilian brain is all about our fight and flight, you know, freeze or drop, you know, kind of, and then our limbic system, yeah. you know, these two have to be communicating together so that we can get to our prefrontal cortex, you know, but if they're not, if they're not communicating, then you can never get to that level. To the fingers. Right. Which he talks about it from children, you know, if you're in a place of fear or if you're, you know, your limbic system is, you know, hijacked you, you can't get to that. So you're trying to address these. It's sort of base system, right? Base system that all of us, you know, have. Well, so then you take that and you overlay that onto the, the research around, biophilia and attention restoration theory and it's it's that in itself because we have this nature is us we yeah. are nature yeah. it's in our dna and we kind of have this back and forth between nature there's our love of nature our need of nature biophilia bio nature philia love mm-hmm. and then we have the flip side which is biophobia 
And that's also a collective understanding. Uh-huh. You know, it's like the snake that we react to. Or they did this research study in Sweden where they had little fake spiders on little children's building blocks and the little children had this reaction to it, even though they had no idea what spiders were, they still had this kind of, you know, innate kind of (laughs) reaction to these little spiders. So we're constantly in this kind of love and hate, you know, with nature. And I think the more convenient our lives are, the further we are separated from nature. We, We have a little cabin up in up in Canada, well, northern Minnesota, it's almost to Canada. We have to uh, bring our food and water. There's no electricity, no running water. In the wintertime, we ski into it. In the summertime, we have to take a boat to it. Mm. You know, when we're up there, it's about living, you know, yeah. and it's what we love. You know, yeah. it's really what we love. But we're always so amazed at how convenient things are when we come back. You know, we turn on a switch. There's our light. We turn on the water. There's our water. You know, we flush a toilet. I mean, it's like it's so great that we have made life so convenient and so wonderful. But what's the cost? Yeah. What's the cost to that separation? And the thing that you made me think of just now is is we've, we, we think that by taking nature out of the equation, we're simplifying in some way, right? Right. And... And and yet it's it's essential to the convenience at the same time. Exactly. And and that's 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 where I feel like we, we're we're kind of stuck as a as a society. And even even the idea of and this is something that kind of came to me early on as I was developing the podcast was that when when we're thinking about about health, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's impossible to think about how you're going to you know, keep your own sense of balance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here on the planet within our communities and within our culture without, you know, really sort of getting some sense of understanding our nature mm-hmm. as human beings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and this is why we, you know, explore, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that that's, and, and, but we can't, we can't look to our nature without looking at the planet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not a vacuum. Right. Yeah. It, it's all connected, just like Nippy. You know, <laughs> it's all connected to the beetle yeah. Yeah. <laughs> somehow. But yeah, exactly right. And, you know, I think what you've, we find in the research then is when we are in nature, when we have a positive experience in nature, we're calm in our reptilian brain. Our limbic right. system is. So then we can yes. get to that higher level of consciousness. And what I think is so fascinating is, you know, the research suggests that we can even get to that place, like being in a place of mindful meditation where creativity, kindness, empathy is encouraged in our brain because we are firing all cylinders of groundedness and, you know, restoration and peacefulness. You know, right. it, it's, 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 all, it's all firing, you right. know. Together. And, and, but it starts with that base, with mm-hmm. that with that base source, which is the planet. Mm-hmm. We can't we can't have higher consciousness mm-hmm. without having that stable base mm-hmm. either. And, mm-hmm. and and that's the thing is I think, in the way that the culture is, which you know, if, if you take nature out of that equation, I mean, I, I was an urban dweller for most of my mm-hmm. life. But mm-hmm. there's an aspect of me that be from my childhood, spending time on farms, being outside mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. that I I. I can almost kind of lean into nature very quickly mm-hmm. and find and get that back again. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. sort of the, the Japanese have this uh, word for forest bathing. Yeah, Shinroku. Uh-huh. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. Which is, which is, I think, just part of that. It is, it is kind of like cleansing your mm-hmm. yourself, and I'm sure it, I'm sure it works on some neuro and cellular level mm-hmm. <laughs> for us. But it gets back to Absolutely. that, that you know, that that base part of our brain that we, mm-hmm. that needs to be sort of feel, it has this feeling of being secure. And, you yep. know, I know from working with say adults who have had traumatic childhoods or mm-hmm. have alcoholic parents or mm-hmm. whatever, that mm-hmm. that base part is, is really unsettled all the time. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we try to throw different kinds of medication at it and do all these different, you know, forms of therapy. But I, I mean, from what I've seen work with them, it seems as though those the, those people that actually have a really strong and most of them figure it out on their own when mm-hmm. they're when they're in their teens or early twenties, mm-hmm. they just start to go into nature. Mm-hmm. You know, they start mm-hmm. to like mm-hmm. they be, they're, they're the people who like to hike, who mm-hmm. sometimes use cannabis, but mm-hmm. that might be mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. the process mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. But I think there's 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 an aspect of, of nature for them that they they're really sort of you know just desperate for. Right, right, and and that for me, I. 
I don't really do much except organize <laughs> these <Yeah>. experiences <laughs> because nature really is the healer. Yeah. You know, and because of that biophilic relationship that we have, you know, I'm just trying to set up a really safe vessel, a really safe and uh, meaningful opportunity mm-hmm. for that engagement. And so that's why that sensory experience to me is really important because it's it, it is that little bullet of experience that can be very um, beneficial in a very short period of time. And and just creating accessibility, you know, on a physical level, creating a, a place that's physically safe, you know, for yeah, people yeah. to enter into a relationship with nature. And, and I, imagine, I imagine you have to set that environment up exactly. for them a little bit. Yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah. That's our, that's <clears throat> our role, yeah. you know. But that transformation, no, that's yeah. not... You know, I'm just trying to make it as safe as possible. <laughs> that yeah. just—that's the part that just happens yeah. when you're when you're there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I I feel really honored to be able to be working I for bet. nature. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and what you must sort of get back from people who have their mm-hmm. experience, who share their experience mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Awe and wonder are, are terms that I hear a lot. Yeah. You know, and yeah, we're just giving people a doorway into connection to who they are already. Mm-hmm. You know, if we, if we were thinking about the little e-evolution of time in an hour, you know, we really, as people today, we've only been around for about three seconds. You know, if you think about right, an hour. Right. You know, so that whole time, 23 hours and, you know, what, how many seconds, we've, we've been evolving with nature, mm-hmm. you know. And so we've, we haven't caught up. You know, this technology and this fast-paced energetic life that we live now, our bodies and our minds, everything about us is still in the garden. Mm -hmm. But we haven't caught up to that. So I think that's why when we are connected to nature, it's a really fast response. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And again, that, you know, trying to... explain that process you know with the brain this is a part of our you know neurobiophilia you know it's a way that our brain works mm-hmm. it's a way that our body responds yeah. you know there's a great quote we come from the earth we return to the earth and in between we garden you know mm-hmm. it, it's yeah, it's yeah. like that if we can keep with that rhythm um, and I, I'm not at all saying technology is bad I mean I, I really think technology is really really important yeah. But Richard Louv has a great saying, the more technology we have, the more we need nature. It yeah. has to be in balance. I think that's balance. true. It really does. Um, and there's you know, wonderful ways in which t- technology can bring us closer to nature. I mean, there's some apps that are phenomenal yeah. about raising awareness and educating us and you know, bringing us out into that experience. Yeah. The one problem I, f- I tend to have with technology is that we... We we try to use it to to be connected and to do all these things that we can't do as well in person mm-hmm. or in in a place, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and that's where I think we've we've been trying to do with technology lately. Whereas, you know, throw throw that same group of people out out in, in on a farm together doing some work, and they're gonna they're gonna have. The, the connection that they're going to feel together right. just just from that because of the all the all the parts that we were talking about earlier the way yeah. the brains can, yeah. can can integrate uh-huh, these things uh-huh, uh-huh. is going to be completely different and we're hardwired for connection yeah. you know as a social creature yeah. as yeah. a social animal we're hardwired for that yeah. as well yeah well i think one of the things that you said I, I not too long ago i heard that we need actually it might have been jay wall jasper that said this mm-hmm. <laughs> read this to me or something but he's it's something about we need we need like six uh, the researchers we need about six hours of, of in person time a day mm-hmm. with with one another mm. and that they we were kind of hoping to find that that the that social interaction through social media and mm. talking mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. the phone and all these mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. would actually replicate that but they're finding that that's not the yeah, case right. but the, the 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 positive side of that is that you don't necessarily need to be talking to someone six hours a day. So right. for the introvert, that's yeah. that'd be a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, oh, oh my gosh, that would be overwhelming for but me. But <laughs> even just being in a in a public place with other people, uh-huh. you know, whether it's you know, 
out at a, a mall or at a coffee shop or you know uh-huh. a concert or something, those all count. Yeah. Because you're actually sort of, you know, maybe it's, you're just vibing off right, each other's right. energy. But, right, right. you know, it, it does kind of, it is, it's a very grounding force for right. us. And I have found this, you know, over and over and over again. Like, an example is like I do this intergenerational garden program, elders and children together. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, um, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's at the beginning of this you know, season, it's kind of like, who's that old guy in the walker? What's that walker? <laughs> you know, and all oh, these young whippersnappers, you know, they don't, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, but you bring them together into a garden, and the garden is like this, um, it's kind of this neutral place, you know. Yeah. And it, it engages you beyond what it looks like or what your pre, you know, biases are and by the end of the summer you know there is this relationship that is just sealed because you've had this opportunity to be in this really safe place of the garden and another part of that I think is that working together and being together it doesn't matter what your age is your race your ethnicity gender whatever that none of that matters because we all rely on nature we wouldn't be here if we didn't have nature to breathe. And so that in and of itself, to me, is an invitation for us to come together and take care of the planet. We each have our ways to do that. Mm-hmm. But because we all rely on it, then we all need to take care of it. Yeah. You know, And that kind of circling back around to that, how can we activate ourselves to engage with nature, connect with nature, so that we can take care of nature. can see why people probably early on when you were starting to like come up with these ideas or, you know, back in college when you were kind of coming through that and going through the masters, I imagine people could see that how you could put all these pieces together. And and I'm sure, you know, full circle now that yeah. the, the, that some of that is your dyslexic brain. I was just going to say, that's exactly why I embrace it now. Yeah. I really do. I mean, I think, I think I have an amazing brain. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, 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 and I still get triggered by shame. I mean, if I don't, you know, whatever, I'm yeah. not a researcher. I'm, you know, a, I'm whatever. Um, yeah, I, I struggle with that too because I didn't, I didn't, I, I, have, I have a hard time with labels in general. Like yeah. I can't, ah, I, yeah. I, I never want to own whatever my label is. Yeah, <laughs> but I have to say it was very like, oh my God, there's some, there's something that, I can attach my hat to that makes it was very yeah. empowering yeah. for me to finally have a label that I could made some sense. Yes, made some sense. And then it was that was good. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. And and now what does that mean? You know, how, how do I get continue to <laughs> now get Now I can smash that and just create something else. Yeah, exactly, because I have always been finding ways to work with what I have. I mean, I'm a my mom and dad say I'm very clever. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, it's you have good instinct, probably, right? Very, I, mean, I, yeah. I think that happens yeah. when you have some learning challenge. I don't yep. know, yeah, I'm, I, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what my learning challenge has been. As mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm, a, I'm kind of a, a, a late bloomer of, of some sort, mm-hmm. but I think part of it came from like I had some learning challenges. I'm, I'm seeing, I'm kind of going through it all over again. With mm-hmm. my, my daughter's got some of this stuff right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. Um, but she's also very clever mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. very witty and comes up with yeah. things that I'm like. Yeah. It plays tricks on emotionally me. Emotionally yeah. very wise. <laughs> yeah, emotionally very wise. Yeah. And and so I think you I think you learn that part of things. Like I, I she's a she's a real observer. I remember that mm-hmm. being that way as a as a child. Not always not always wanting to like, you know, someone talk to me. I didn't always want to say something when sure. I was a kid. And, sure, sure. And, but I, I can I can see some of that too. But I think there's 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 and if, when you when you're younger, if if you have some of those things, and maybe this is a good thing for anyone listening or who anyone who has children to to think about, is that we 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 kind of come come into the world with this this set of things, and we try to fit those things into this structure that this society is. And I would say, just from having also been in health fields and work and work sort of back and forth with people with a lot of 
complicated, you know, either learning challenges or mm-hmm. nervous system challenges or whatever, that a lot of the problems that people have are from trying to fit into boxes that they, yeah. don't, they can't really fit into. Right, right. And so... Oh, that's you know, so true. You know, oh, gosh, yeah. When that, you're, a, you're a beautiful round peg and, yeah. and you're like trying to get into this little square, you know, box. Yeah. <laughs> it just... And there is this pressure, you know, to, to fit in yeah. that way on so many different levels that... Um, you know, f- for someone to say, hey, I'm giving you permission to not have to do that. Yeah. You know, a- and that's what I find right now. I mean, I'm like, I'm almost 60. It's just like, whatever, <laughs> you know, and I feel so um, responsible to speak my truth to younger people, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and really give them permission. And and then that's a part of how I structure my classes. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to have this spectrum of, uh, different ways of engaging with the knowledge because not everybody is just wants to read it, you know. So I have them doing things out in nature and having them, you know, looking at it through the lens of creativity and art, art and, you know, trying to give them a variety of different um, ways in which to, and, and maybe they don't like, maybe they're really comfortable with that reading the literature and they're really not that comfortable, you know, doing the journal piece or the the Google slide thing. But, it gives them an opportunity to explore that and vice versa, yeah. you know, and well, to be able to give students that permission that, hey, I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to get you connected. And these are the mechanisms that I'm giving you the opportunity to engage with nature. Yeah. Um, and and are, are these students coming from a variety of different yes, disciplines yeah, too? Yeah, yeah, right. So, you know, I'll have PhD students in uh, musicology and I'll have students in um, economics and uh, some from the Humphrey Institute and a lot of students from School of Social Work and the College of Education, uh, DNP students, um, horticulture students, you know, that... that very interdisciplinary. Yeah. Um, and it's an elective, so they're all coming there mm-hmm. because they're interested in the subject, which is great. Um, and so I have kind of a, a nice playing field in which to really try to engage them. And mm-hmm. I encourage them to look at it through their lens of profession, look at it through your yeah, personal like lens um, and see how, how does this make sense? Yeah. You know, if you're going into public health, and you're really resonating with what's happening in this class. Well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, how can you integrate that into your um, educational, academic, and um, professional life? Um, if this isn't really fitting, you know, into your professional life, well, how can this resonate for you personally so that you can be more engaged, you know, and healthy um, mm-hmm. in your professional life? So I'm always trying to encourage them to to look at it and get beyond just. I read this article and this is what it said. You know, it's like, I don't care what it said. I know what it said. I, I gave it to you. What yeah. I want to know is how you synthesize it yes. and how you can apply it. Yeah. That's really what I am about. And that is so foreign to students. It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, it takes me like three weeks to finally convince them that, hey, you guys, I'm not judging you on this. I'm looking at that, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, you know, by the end of the seven weeks, you know, students are like, this was the best class I've ever had. You know, I've never had, an, you know, a professor was really encouraged me to do this or that. You know, and I'm just like, well, hallelujah, yay, yeah. about time, yeah. you know. Well, it's, it's the one thing about nature, sort of back to the, the you know, the round, the round peg and square hole thing is like nature, nature has this sort of free complex. You, mm-hmm. know, like, I mean, you can, you can sort of. There's there's an adaptiveness that's just natural to to, to or that that is just part of our natural world, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. when once you start exploring those things, or once you start looking for the relationships, you know, through through nature, it's mm-hmm. it seems like it's got to open up just all sorts of synapses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can go mm-hmm. anywhere with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is actually kind of hard for the research part of it, because mm. there's you know we we have a really good foundation of research that says yes, being in nature is good for us. Yes, mm-hmm. we we can say that very solid right, right. evidence. But now it's what kind of nature, you know, is, mm-hmm. does the nature change, uh, according to your well, ethnic, how, how, how uh, much or how little nature, yes, <laughs> the dose of nature, you know, is how, you know, they're talking about. So, you know, as you try to parse it out, you know, uh, for, for me, it's like, Oh boy, now you're going to, it's like integrative medicine. It's like, it's so much, a, it's, it's like this multicolored mosaic, you know, how can you just pull out one little piece 
you know, but I find solace in the fact that if my one little piece is going to help impact policy and decision makers and, it, you know, people who are designing urban areas and trying to get more green into it, okay, well, that's fine with me, you know. But really, you know, my heart is always with, you know, it's this whole, you know. It's yeah, and really it's just a, a catalyst sometimes. Like it doesn't, we, we, we get so caught up in our research sometimes too. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's, you, why why try to figure out exactly the right dose or what kind of nature or what environment or whatever when it's it, sometimes just stepping into it in the first place gives you the aha for the next thing. I mean, this right. is this is the way I talk about integrative health too. Mm-hmm. Like I might not be the right person for for, certainly not for everybody. You can't say that, craniosacral therapy is for everybody. I mean, I've had those people on my table. It's just mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they can't engage with it right. for whatever reason. And right, that's, right. and it's, it's neither of our faults, right. but you know, I also, when that, when that happens, it can be very discouraging for a person. And I, mm-hmm. and I try to encourage them to, you know, continue looking for something like yeah. I, I understand your challenge. I am very clear about what your challenge is and you are very clear about what your, what your challenge is. So let's try the next thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are also kind of layers sometimes, especially when it gets down to those like base need mm-hmm. down further down into the nervous system mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. we're talking about right. here that I think, you know, it may take a few different things to finally to, to, to just hit one thing that unlocks the, you yeah. know, the next thing that you're going to get down into with, with, with healing yourself or with, you know, just even just feeling like content and, Oh, that's so true. Oh, yeah, yeah. You just hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, exactly. It's like you just, we as care providers, we have to help them find that key. Yeah. You know, and and like you said, we may not have that on our chain, key chain, you know, but somebody does. And they're drawn to whatever we're doing for a reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're searching, you mm-hmm. know, they're, they're looking for something mm-hmm. and you know, it, it, it may not be something that's easy to, to find either. I mean, right. we, 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 it's not, our, it's not for us to judge. Right we, right. we only do what we do. Right. Right. We're just trying to bring them into a place of exploration that their brains can go there. And, and, and I, with. I'm, I, I mean, so I'm so interested in, in kind of what you've found in 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 doing the in just being in the in the work yourself because i feel i think in in even you know i feel like i'm in a fairly new field in some mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. i mean not that nature is a new field no <laughs> i feel like it's it's a, there's a sort of a, a re-emerging thing that's that's happening in terms of but in in terms of calling it a, a kind of therapy and, mm-hmm. and what, what's what's the definition you you work with as far as now what you well you go by or your, yeah, your coursework yeah so Oh boy, thank you. That's a good question. So there is a technical response, you know, where we are looking at intention and purpose that what separates what we do from your own benefits of being in nature, that you just have an experience of being in nature. What separates us is that I'm purposefully, intentionally organizing and structuring this experience so that we can see some kind of measurable outcome. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the fact that I'm a part of it, you know. And what I hope is that I won't be a part of it. I, I don't want to, I want to work myself out of that job. Yeah, so that I, you, I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah, so that you can take charge of your own experience. Mm-hmm. That's really the ultimate that we want. Yeah. But originally as an intervention, you know, it's just like anything, doing the assessment you know, finding out what the needs are, what the abilities are, mm-hmm. looking at the modality and seeing how we can meet those needs and abilities, and then designing, you know, a curriculum or a program, you know, around that. Um, so that's the that's the technical kind of stuff. And, of and it. in terms of design, is so, I guess in terms, so when you're when you're working with someone, do you help them design? Anything on the, in the environmental aspect of things too? Well, it like depends it, on the program. I mean, okay. it really does. It depends on the program and the um, the population and what their needs are. You know, yeah. if I'm working at the Parkinson Center, it's a day program. Mm-hmm. You know, we really are trying to just bring that social engagement, uh, trying working on secondary symptoms of depression. Yeah. You know, isolation. You know, trying to bring people out of their shell and um, be in the group and engaging. You know, and yeah. which is very different than. Um, different but similar than if I'm working um, with folks with persistent mental illness. And what I'm trying to do there is really trying to get them involved in designing and organizing and 
being engaged in that development of the program. For example, um, we're doing a program at the arboretum and up here at the farm, kind okay. of both. Okay. And I so, met. So people are coming up come here. Up here. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I met with the, the residents at this um, high rise and trying to elicit in them, you know, what, what are your interests? You know, what would be something that you would enjoy? Well, they're all there because they want to do something, you know, so that I'm, I've got them already. But through this process of conversation and just kind of prototyping some ideas, you know, what we came up with is photography. Well, what a great way mm-hmm. to get to a different level through photography, you yeah. know? So, um, it really does kind of depend on, you know, the program that we're doing. We, we work with um, a level four school district, 916, um, and we're working with kids, you know, from kindergarten, you know, all the way to middle school who are on the spectrum or who have emotional behavior disorders, all coming from some kind of a traumatic kind of experience. Um, and we're working not only with the students, but we're also working with the staff because working with that population is very difficult, mm-hmm. you know, and for yeah. them to have, you know, a, a sense of self-control and restoration, you yeah. know, about being in nature is yeah. really, really yeah. important. So, yeah, it really kind of depends. Do, do you, you know? work Do you work closely ever with, like, landscape people? I do or myself. Anything? I do a lot of consulting where I... I'm acting as like that interpreter that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. where I might know enough about landscape architecture so that I can inform the healthcare provider and I know enough about the whatever the population is in the healthcare provider to inform the landscape. So example, yeah. like the patients with eating disorders, the architects in the landscape parks wanted to have water. They really wanted water. And I was just like, no, you can't have water. And if you're going to have water, you have to have water that's not noisy. It's mm-hmm. not flushing sound. It's not running because that's counterindicated to somebody who is bulimic or yeah. someone, yeah. you know, yeah. who's going to be triggered yeah. by that sound, you know. Oh, never thought of it right. that way, you know. So it's those kinds of things where I find, I, I find that I, I'm interpreting, yeah. you know, because you you bring architecture into uh, people who are care providers and therapists and you know social service providers, and they're like, I don't know what I want, yeah. you know. But really, they do know what they want. They do know what they need if they're given. Uh, questions and opportunity to understand what the question is, yeah. you know, then they can relay it. So I, I find myself doing that. Um, but I'm not a landscape architect. I'm yeah. not an architect. Yeah. I know enough about it um, that I, I feel that I can. Um, you, you, you know environments. Though, I know environments, from, yeah. Uh-huh. As, especially yeah. as it relates to nature and how, mm-hmm. we, mm-hmm. how we relate to, to that environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you just look at the symptomology and mm-hmm. the ways in which different diagnoses present themselves and you I just overlay that onto you know what this environment is going to be and what potential it could be helpful or not Um, so yeah I find myself as more of a consultant for that and I I really do enjoy that that's that's something that I I find a lot of a lot of in uh, pleasure in and the other part that I really like is where I can train trainers so that that ripple effect, because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm one and I have a staff of 13, you know, and we can only do so much. But the more that we can help other people understand and see that they have such, it's easy to do, you know, it's mm-hmm. easy to integrate this, yeah. you know, yeah. into the work that you're already doing, you know, instead of using a pegboard as a physical, physical therapist, you know, well, right. you can use a dibbler and you can have a little container and you can be planting seeds. Mm-hmm. So now not only are those seeds working on your eye-hand coordination and your grip, your, your grip strength yeah, and your fine yeah. motor. But now you have something growing. Now you have something to care for. Now you have something to actually harvest. Now yeah. you have something that you can generalize all of that back into the home. Whereas sending home a pegboard, yeah. you know, that's pretty contrived. Right. I, I you know, and no judgment. I mean, yeah, no judgment. No, it's just, it's similar, just different. Yeah. Um, so being able to help trainers see that these are things that are, Activities of daily living, yeah, you know, and can be easily integrated. Yeah. I find that very satisfying as well in the work. This is great. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank, thank you for showing me around the, oh, the farm up here yeah. and, and give, for giving me a day out of yeah. my urban environment. <laughs> Always welcome. And, and uh, I'll, I'll post some of these pictures that I got to. Oh, cool. And um, some of the, the roosters. And the, oh, yeah. <laughs> the rooster yeah. and the chickens. And, yeah, yeah. And like, the goaty boys. And the goats and the horses. Yeah. And I, and I, I mean, I, the reason I thought about the, the design part of this, too, is just because I feel like you've you've designed uh, your own space here. I mean, this is a testimony. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to actually show you my little office because I have very deliberately set up a bird feeding station, and that is my attention restoration theory. I mean, that is it. I can just I can be at the computer, and then I just turn my eyes this way, and I just like give my brain this like massage, and then I can go back. <laughs> so well, it's go, very let's deliberate. Go, let's go check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Good. Jean. You're so welcome, Jeremy. Jeannie Larson, folks. So much I've continued to process since this conversation. The idea of our reciprocal relationship with the planet is something that has really stuck with me. If the natural world and all the bounty it provides for us is our most accessible form of medicine, and if our concern is taking care of ourselves and our communities, then it has to be our responsibility to learn how we can support the health of the natural world. I remember seeing signs in an Earth Day march in the 90s that said, Save the Planet, and I have a very distinct memory of thinking to myself, the planet will save itself, humans are causing the problems, and the planet doesn't need us. We need it. We are living out of balance with the natural world. We like our modern conveniences, and for most of us urban dwellers, nature is an inconvenience. It's pesky mosquitoes and heat and humidity, and it's rain on our parades. Yet everything we need to survive, this planet provides for us. We are completely reliant on it, and it's becoming more clear that if we don't tend to its health, nature is going to make things very inconvenient. Waking up our senses by engaging with nature, as Gene suggests, might be the simplest and most straightforward way of understanding our relationship with the planet. To understand that we need it more than it needs us. That our health is dependent on it. That even just its presence can in induce a feeling of wholeness like nothing else can. If you like this topic in conversation and believe a podcast can make a difference, would you please consider contributing to its growth? It takes just one minute to become a supporter, and you can donate for as little as $1 a month by going to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.